Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, hello again, my friend, and welcome back to another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Man, we've been bringing you this show now for, uh, what, about four, five years now? This is our 66th episode of the program. Now, you'll notice, you know, a lot of shows do, you know, they come out weekly. We used to do that. We did that a a long time ago, and then we kind of did it every couple weeks, and then we settled on once a month, and I think that's worked, you know, kind of the best for us, and I think it's you know, it's 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 better for you guys. I don't know. I just get kind of overwhelmed with shows that come out once a week. And, you know, Andy and I have lives. And anyways, I'm Clint Davis. I'm the uh, movies and TV guy here on the Stream Police uh, podcast. And uh, Andy Sedlak is our music man. Uh, but he's a whole hell of a lot more dependable than that uh, Harold Hill guy. So we'll hear from him in just a little bit. I am coming at you live on tape from my closet in Greater Columbus, Ohio. That's where I record my segment of the show. I cram into the closet. It gives me the best sound, I think. And you know what? I like to make things uh, just a little bit more comfy, cozy, and, uh, well, a whole hell of a lot better smelling by lighting up my stogie as I sit here in the closet breaking countless fire codes with you. I trust you to keep that to yourself. Don't tell your firefighter friends. Um, and uh, let me let me just smoke my stogie in peace. Let me go ahead and and light up here as I uh, as I get comfortable and, and bring you this new episode of the show. Dug the Zippo back out again. Hadn't been using the Zippo. I've been using the butane lighter a little bit for the last uh, couple of months here. But, you know, you, you got to go back to the classic after a while. It's warm weather again. It's, it's stogie smoking season, so I'll be stepping out of my closet and Smoking a few outside here uh, every now and then whenever I get a chance where, where I'll be wearing, I'll put on some special clothes, like a, a jacket I like to wear uh, over top of my clothes, zip it all the way up so that my son never smells any of this stuff. So I don't want to get any emails about that already either because I do stay home with him all day, every day. But, you know, when I get some time at night when he's, you know, snuggled up in bed and Beth is as well, I go outside, smoke a stogie, read a book, um, uh, gather my thoughts and enjoy my evening. One of my, it's my favorite time of the year. And that's one of the reasons why, um, I've told you before, I told you last time on the show, don't forget to follow me on Instagram. I am at Mr. Clint Davis, M R Clint Davis, uh, because on there now I'm doing a thing where I, uh, tell you every time I'm watching a movie, 
what I'm watching. So, and I eagerly, I want your comments on the film. If you've seen it, if you haven't seen it, if it's one uh, that you've been thinking about adding to your list, if you ask me, I'll tell you what I thought about it. I don't, I don't do reviews on there. I just think it's a little, I don't know, self-indulgent and vulgar to put uh, the reviews on on Instagram. That's not really what you're there for, but I'm just telling you kind of what I'm watching. I mean, no, no commentary. Sometimes I'll say things like, this is a great looking movie. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. I'll show you a good shot from it. Uh, but that's about as, as, as far as I go, I'm not going to go in there and say, man, this thing sucks ass, or this is great. Uh, just not what, not what it's there for. I'm just kind of, at least for right now, showing you kind of what I'm watching and hopefully you guys are enjoying it and not thinking that that's just me showing you how little of a life I have, but I want you to know, you know, how often I do watch movies and, uh, even, you know, since having my son last July, people were like, well, you're not going to be able to go to the, you're not going to be able to watch movies anymore. And we haven't gone to the movies nearly as much. Uh, we've still gone like every couple months, but we used to go, you know, like every weekend, especially during award season. We didn't get to do that this year, which kind of sucked, but man, it's so easy now with video on demand and we've got an Apple TV and just to go into the like Apple TV movies section and you watch movies, I mean, basically a couple months after they go into theaters or in some cases it's weeks after they go into theaters and, you know, you can watch them for $5 or whatever in full high def and it's, it makes it a lot easier if you're somebody who can't go to the movie theater anymore. It kind of just comes to you in a way that it never has uh, so easily before but I still you can't be going to the theater it's still my favorite thing to do so we do it as often as we can but I've been watching more movies at home than I really even did uh before and I always watched a lot of movies at home so it's been it's been good in that way uh let's uh before I get to the greatest tv show theme song of all time I did get one email talking about Game of Thrones and asking me if I was looking forward to uh the new season of Game of Thrones and I wanted to ask you guys that. Are you looking forward to the new season of Game of Thrones? I've talked on the show before about Game of Thrones a lot in the years that we've been doing this show. Um, And I was a a late arrival to the series. I got into it, I think, after it had already aired about three seasons was when I finally bit the bullet and decided to watch uh, Game of Thrones. And I really, really loved what they did storytelling wise uh scope wise character arc wise for the first four or five even five seasons of that series i loved what they did it was some it was things that i had never seen done on tv before uh in terms of the depth of it the scope of it the surprises the twists the 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 complete lack of value for character lives i had never seen a show that had done things like that it was kind of beautiful in a way, and the show was beautiful to look at, but man, it just in the last few seasons, and I've talked about this on this show and on our YouTube channel, you can hear my thoughts on Game of Thrones and whether or not the show sucks now is what the video is called. It's called Does Game of Thrones Suck Now? And that video has gotten like 40,000 views or something. It's crazy. It's by far the the biggest video I've ever had anything to do with on YouTube. Uh, And it, it continues to get a lot of comments and it's because the show is so massive. I mean, this is the ultimate water cooler show that everyone kind of watches and talks about on Monday mornings. But I just feel like the show has gotten so dumbed down in the last few seasons. What they were doing in the first five seasons was chess of the highest order. And what they've done the last few seasons is more like the checkers that we've seen played on cable television in recent years. And it kind of feels more like it's just become another one of those zombie shows 
You know, I mean, that's kind of all it is at this point. It's like an apocalyptic zombie show, whereas at the beginning of the show, really what it was was like political intrigue. And that's what I loved so much about Game of Thrones. I loved watching these characters that were all different shades of gray. Basically, no one was black. No one was white. Everyone was kind of a shade of gray. There were some characters that were patently evil. But even they had, I'm thinking like of Cersei Lannister, but she's had her moments where you've actually felt something for her. I mean, those moments have been dwarfed by times where you wish that, you know, she would kind of get her head ripped off by someone, but, uh, or get her head squeezed in by the mountain or something like that, uh, which I guess there's still time for that. But, and there were characters like Ned Stark, who was completely a good guy, just total good guy, you know, the, the best of most paragon of of nobility that the show ever had and of course we know what happened to him if you've watched this show at all um but he was still a great character even though and i've missed him over the last few years and i think what i've missed is just that performance from sean bean and just having that guy that i knew i could count on every episode there is something to be said for that because while we love and you know ever since the sopranos debuted in the late 90s, we love shows about people who are bad, but also that we can root for sometimes. And there have been countless examples of this over time. Basically, every show that comes out now that gets any kind of acclaim, the main character is someone who's kind of bad, but also kind of good sometimes. And that's really, you know, The Sopranos is kind of what invented that in television and made it so popular. Um and Game of Thrones was full of uh, of characters like that, but it does feel good to have someone that you know is going to do the right thing and that you know you can root for when it's something that you're giving this many hours to, and that's what Ned Stark was. But of course, we don't ha- we don't have that anymore. We can't have nice things on Game of Thrones. But the show has just gotten kind of formulaic. It follows every episode follows a definite pattern. Now is one of the things that really bugs me about Game of Thrones in the last couple of seasons. Um, Every episode is going to do. We're going to follow one character in one location for about ten minutes of the show, fifteen minutes of the show. Then we're going to go to another location in the globe in the world of the show, and we're going to follow another one, maybe two characters who are together in that location. All right, then we're going to jump to another location. We're going to follow that one for about fifteen minutes. All right, and that's how every episode goes. Every episode is kind of like a series of short films about each character with not not a whole lot of things meeting, uh, not a whole lot of storylines intertwining. It's just separate things, separate people happening in separate locations, and that's every episode. It, there, there's not a whole lot of deviation from that in the last few years of the show. The, the one episode that kind of jumps out from the last few seasons that people talk about and that got a lot of attention was the Battle of the Bastards, and that was because that whole episode was basically one scene, and it was just a big battle. But even to me, that was just kind of boring because I don't, I'm not, I don't want to watch a big battle. Like that's not what I'm watching Game of Thrones for. It's not, I'm not into it for the war, uh, for the war games. You know, that's not what it's about for me. This show is much more about the small things that happen behind the scenes in these little rooms. Um, and the the kind of backstabbing that happens at every level, from the smallest up to the biggest, um, and how low people are willing to sink to gain just like an extra little ounce of power. That, to me, is what made Game of Thrones such a great show. And just those characters that you just love to hate, man. The show was just loaded with them in the early days. And now kind of everyone's on one side. Everyone's kind of united against the White Walkers, who are basically zombies, and it's become just kind of boring. Like, I don't 
I don't see there being a whole lot of different outcomes for this show. I mean, I, I think, you know, different characters dying is all that we're going to be surprised by. But as far as what the big ending is, I just don't see a lot of other of a lot of options. It's either the White Walkers win, everyone becomes a zombie, and really to me it's like how couldn't they win because, you know, a million people die every day and every time someone dies they become one of them, so or they become potentially one of them. So how you know their their army's endless basically and or the humans win okay and it goes back to who's going to who's going to rule on the throne it, but there's this whole this last season's only going to be six episodes i think so there's not going to be any new storylines coming out here everything's going to be just wind down which i'm very disappointed to to realize so if you were hoping for any new characters new storylines it's not going to happen i mean this is all going to be ramped down to the finale. That's the whole, that's all they have time for. They they don't have any time for anything else. They have no time to build anything new. It's just going to be um, resolution to to old things and old threads being tied up, which is you know kind of boring. I mean, it's what you do in the final episode. It's not what you do the whole final season of a show. You got to give me something new to look forward to. So you know, I don't think there's going to be any big surprises this season. I just don't see it happening aside from maybe a couple deaths that you didn't think you were going to see but really how could you be surprised by anyone dying on game of thrones at this point i mean anyone is fair game to be killed or at least they were in the first few seasons last few seasons not really been that way there haven't been any really shocking character deaths in the last few years and you can blame that on the show going off book because i think it was george R. R. martin who was the guy who was so thrilled about just killing characters that you thought were safe from the axe uh, when they never were uh, in the end. So I don't know. I'm not, I, I'm not really that excited about Game of Thrones, the, the final season. I mean, I, I'm looking forward to watching it because I will watch it because I do love these performances and some of the characters I really do care about, I really do like. I like the, the look of the show. It's just, it looks like a million bucks every episode. It's, it's huge budget stuff. It's event television like we haven't had in years. Um, and it's something that HBO should be extremely proud of in their long line of shows that they've been extremely proud of but i mean is it the best show on tv no i don't think so and uh it's gotten worse over the years so it's it's gotten less interesting it's gotten more uh you know cookie cutter as the show has gone on more predictable that's a shame because it was never predictable in the early seasons unless you had read the books so the final season of game of thrones premieres on april 14th i will be watching i will be talking about it here on the show as we roll along merrily um and i want to know your thoughts about it as well i'm sure a lot of you out there will be watching because there's been a lot of response to the things i've talked about in terms of other seasons of the show here on the stream police so like i said it kicks off on hbo on april 14th will you be watching if you think this has a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. And if you feel left out on the whole thing, I mean, I think it's probably too late. I think the ship has sailed. You don't really have the time to watch and absorb all the episodes of the show before this final season kicks off. You can try, and you probably will enjoy it, but it's gonna it, it, it's a slog, man, to go through all those episodes uh, that quickly because this show is very slow paced. It's glacial at times, but that's one of the things that was really good about it. The pacing, the slow, deliberate pacing was one of the things that really was great about the first few seasons, but it's something that you might not enjoy. So maybe some of you out there will like the later seasons better that are more 
action-oriented, faster-paced, more special effects-driven. Um, certainly those are the kind of movies that do better than the ones that are uh, character study dramas, but those first few seasons were really something special. Um, and, you know, the show could have ended after five seasons, and I think it, it probably would have been better in the end. But, um, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you to not watch Game of Thrones. You should go back through if you haven't watched them. It's worth your time, certainly. It's some great storytelling told there, and it's such a massive cultural event. Just to get the references, I think it's worth watching. But uh, if you're trying to catch up before the new season, I wouldn't even bother doing it. I mean, just take your time watching the episodes. Don't try to burn through them or you won't understand anything. There's so many names in this show. It's hard, even if you're watching it at a de- at a deliberate pace, it's hard to remember who everyone is. I usually end up having to look things up, look people up uh, on like the Game of Thrones wiki to see, you know, who they were, where where I last saw them and what their name is. But there are a lot of great performances in that show, a lot of very memorable characters that uh, I will not forget even after the show has long been off the air. All right, speaking of shows that have long been off the air, let's go way back in time for our newest edition of the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. This is our 39th edition of this segment where I talk about one of the great TV show theme songs ever put on television. So we're going to go back to the black and white days of TV for this one, to a time when cowboys were still fodder for weekly heroic inspiration for Americans especially white guys out there, let's be honest about this, across the nation. This entry into our canon of the greatest TV show theme songs ever first was heard on the night of January 9th, 1959, when people flipped on the CBS network to watch a new Western series called Rawhide. Great title, right? Rawhide. Who doesn't want to watch that? And I think this one works best if I just play the theme song all the way through for you before breaking it down. So I'm going to do it a little differently. I'm just going to play the song for you, and then we're going to talk about it. So enjoy the Rawhide theme. Keep moving, 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 though they're disapproving. Keep them doggies moving, Rawhide. Don't try to understand them, just look through. Oh man, doesn't that make you just want to like sell all your shit, move out to the West, get on the back of a horse and drive some cattle. I mean, come on, man. Put some chewing tobacco in. The theme song from Rawhide accomplishes three of the factors that I feel make a great TV show theme song. First off, it gets across the basic plot of the show, right? It tells you what you need to know about this show. It's guys driving cattle. That's what the show's about. That's what the song's about. All right? Number two, its sound exemplifies the setting of the show. This song sounds like a Western movie 
in one minute of music. I mean, doesn't it sound like horses driving across the plane? You hear the whips. You hear the guys cracking the whips. I mean, that's it's either a show about S&M or it's a show on, on the Old West in the Plains, and it's the latter, okay? This was the 50s. So it gets across the basic plot of the show, and the sound exemplifies the setting of the show perfectly. And third, it's just simply a memorable, catchy, good song. I mean, isn't that what, what do you think is the most important of those three? I think uh, that last one might be the most important. The people behind this song also, I didn't know much about the Rawhide theme song. Okay. Before I started researching it to do this segment, but the people behind this song, I was blown away. These guys are basically royalty. You think of this as like the simple kind of almost like kitschy Western song, but man, these guys were, were heavyweights. All right, a film music. The music for the song was written by Russian composer Dmitry Chomkin. And while that might sound unexpected to have this Russian guy uh, named Dmitry writing the music for this all-American Western show, he was one of the kings of Western movie music back in the golden age of that genre. And uh, Chomkin actually won four Oscars for work on movies like High Noon and The High and the Mighty. And uh, the lyrics of the song were written by a guy named Ned Washington, who won two Oscars in his own career, including one for writing the lyrics to the theme song from High Noon, a classic. But he also, Ned Washington wrote the lyrics to the immortal theme song from Disney's Pinocchio, the song When You Wish Upon a Star. What Disney fan doesn't know that song by heart and love that song? It's one of the all-time greats. So next time you hear When You Wish Upon a Star, just remember, remember that that song came from the same guy who wrote the theme song from Rawhide. And then let's get to who sang the song. So Frankie Lane was the singer behind the Rawhide theme song, and he was like a go-to guy for hit records for several decades. He had this incredible voice, as you hear in the song, and, and he sang the themes for several different Western movies, including the infamous opening song from Mel Brooks's Blazing Saddles, which he sang like a serious Western song because he thought it was. They called him in, didn't tell him this movie was a joke, like a parody of Westerns. They, they just told him it was a new Western from Warner Brothers. And... You know, Frankie Lane came in, blew it out of the water, uh, and sang it like a serious Western song. And it's one of the things that makes the song so brilliant, opens the movie so well. I mean, if he would have sang it like a joke, it wouldn't have nearly the impact. And, you know, I mean, Frankie Lane is a legend because of what he did on the Blazing Saddles theme. And his performance of this Rawhide theme is so earnest as well that you just can't help but love it. The guy, was he just took his job seriously, man. He didn't care what the song was. He was going to give you a damn good performance. You got to respect that. The song itself talks about these cowboys moving cattle across the plains, and that's exactly what the show was about. It followed this team of cowboys and the adventures that they got into while driving cattle back in the post-Civil War days of the Old West. The show's cast included Eric Fleming as the boss of the group of cowboys and a young Clint Eastwood as the breakout character, this immature rebel of the group named Rowdy Yates. Perfect name for a Clint Eastwood character, right? Rowdy Yates. And Eastwood starred in every season of the show Rawhide. He wasn't just on a couple seasons, then disappeared to go do his movie career. He stuck it out, man. He was on eight seasons of this show. And it would lead, of course, to his iconic roles in tons of westerns, like A Fistful of Dollars, which came out right toward the end of the run of this series. And uh, High Plains Drifter, uh, The Outlaw Josie Wales, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. There's too many great Clint Eastwood westerns to name. Uh, those are some of my favorites. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if it weren't for Rawhide, he's, he's not going to land those roles in the rest of his career. I don't know where he'd end up. 
Rawhide ended up running for eight seasons and 217 episodes on CBS, ending in 1965. It was acclaimed, actually, back in its day for telling some more hard-hitting stories than some of the other kind of Western shows like Bonanza uh, did. This uh, Rawhide talked a little bit about racism in the Old West in some episodes. It talked about things like morphine addiction and uh, other uh, hardships that people went through back in those days. Hell, the people are still going through these days. Uh, the theme song for Rawhide became a classic of its own. Uh, it was arguably more classic than the TV show was, as some as a lot of the songs that we've talked about in this segment have gone on to do. It was heard all over the place, including on a series of uh, Walmart ads in the 1990s. I don't know if you remember those, but that's the first time I heard this song. was actually in those Walmart ads where they changed it to Roll Back instead of Rawhide. It was like roll, and, roll Back Those Prices and all that shit. I don't know. You can look it up. It, it was back when Walmart had that like bouncing yellow smiley face that was kind of their, their logo. I don't think they use that anymore, but... That's where I remember hearing the Rawhide theme. I didn't even know what it was. I thought it was just Roll Back was the name of the song. But the cover version that was done by the Blues Brothers as, uh, you know, of the last act of desperation while performing in this country and Western dive bar in the movie The Blues Brothers, to me, is the best performance of the song ever done. Uh, Every time I hear a bottle break anywhere, I think of that scene. And it's just, it's one of the funniest scenes ever in a movie. And it's the ultimate performance of Rawhide, I think. So the theme song from Rawhide, written by Dimitri Chompkin and Ned Washington and performed by the great Frankie Lane, which debuted on CBS in 1959, is my pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. Hit him up! Move him out! Keep rolling, 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 though the streams are swollen. Keep them doggies rolling, rawhide. Through rain and wind and weather, kale bent for leather. Wishing my gal was by my side. All the things I'm missing, good fiddles, love and kissing, are waiting at the end of my ride. Move him out, right on me, move him in, move him out, move him out. Yeah! Whoopsh, whoopsh. Yeah! Whoopsh, Great shit, man. Theme song from Rawhide, a classic. CBS. CBS used to give us a lot of good stuff. I don't know what happened to CBS over the years. I guess it was less Moonvez. Speaking of CBS, though. CBS All Access is something that I have not talked about really at all since, uh, you know, we've been doing the stream police. And that's kind of a crime because it is one of the, um, you know, streaming services that's out there that's easy for you to get access to. It's pretty cheap. I think it's like $5 or $5.99, something like that a month. Um, Not bad. And you get access to, you know, every CBS show that's on now and the old ones as well and shows like The Twilight Zone and Uh, the old Twilight Zone, which was on CBS, and you get uh, access to new shows that are only on CBS All Access. And I want to mention this service because I feel like CBS All Access has made some noise in its first few years as this standalone streaming service, but I think there's still some confusion around it. So you've probably seen, if you've watched TV at all in the last few weeks, you've seen probably some of the ads for the new Twilight Zone reboot uh, with Jordan Peele as the host. That's uh, the commercials for that have been airing all over TV for the, like the last month, especially if you've been watching the NCAA basketball tournament, which has been on CBS and the Turner networks. 
they've been airing ads for this thing forever uh, on on the tournament. And I've heard people asking if the show, the new Twilight Zone, is actually airing on CBS. Uh, but no, it is not. It's airing on CBS All Access, and I think people don't realize what CBS All Access means or what it is. It's 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 its own service. It's a thing you pay separately for. In addition to, even if you have a CBS subscription through, which you don't need a subscription to T- CBS. Obviously, it's a free channel. It's an over-the-air uh, broadcast channel, so you don't need a subscription to cable to watch CBS. But if you have a cable subscription. And like a login to Spectrum or whatever, that doesn't matter. You don't get access to CBS All Access with that. It's a whole, whole separate thing. It's its own deal, just like Netflix or uh, Amazon Prime. And there are several original shows that are on CBS All Access. The Twilight Zone is the latest to join that. Um, there's another. There is another um, anthology show on there actually called Tell Me a Story as well, which I listed on my 10 new series to watch for uh, when I did that in the fall of of last year of 2018. So there's there are a lot of actually new shows. They've been been cranking them out kind of and different genres. And CBS All Access is uncensored. So if you think you're watching, you know, you're going to be watching something that's like for your grandparents, which is like what the CBS network has been famous for over the last few decades. It's not at all like that. CBS All Access is is like a is basically like watching Showtime, which is owned by CBS as well. Uh, the show's curse. They show nudity. They, you know, it's it's a total, it's an uncensored channel. It's like a premium channel. So uh, there, it's adult stuff. It's not really CBS All Access is like totally different from CBS, which I think is people need to understand that. And and they, if they marketed it that way, I think they would do better because most people hear CBS like people my age or people that uh, the people that listen to the show like people like you who take television seriously who don't want to watch things that are just a waste of time really uh we've all got shows that we waste our time with and we know we're wasting our time with but you don't want to watch a whole network of shows that are just time fillers which is kind of what CBS is they don't never win any awards they never get any acclaim but they get good ratings because it's the same story every week on every damn show but CBS All Access is totally different, so I think they should really market it better as this is not CBS. This is a totally different thing, but it's got the CBS name in it, so probably a lot of people don't realize how good the stuff on there actually is. Uh, a couple of the other shows that have made some noise on CBS All Access include The Good Fight, which is a spinoff of The Good Wife, which was actually one of the only recent very acclaimed shows that CBS has had. The Good Fight was has been acclaimed as well in its few seasons it's been on the air so far. It's again, it's a show that uh, you know, drops HBO curse words. It, it shows nudity. It it does things that the good wife never did. Uh and it tells some some pretty serious dramatic stories. But it was Star Trek Discovery to me that got the most attention for that new service. When the show debuted in fall 2017, it was the new Star Trek series, Star Trek Discovery. It was announced CBS had the rights to it. They were going to air the next Star Trek show. And then it came out that it was going to be on CBS All Access, which shocked people. And people were like, what the hell is this? So you had to pay a subscription to the service to be able to watch the new Star Trek show. And I have to imagine it helped this new up-and-coming network get a lot of subscribers because Star Trek is about as big a franchise as there is in television history it's it's forever uh it's evergreen it's always appealing uh the fans of star trek will always be loyal to that series including myself um there are so many great stories that it has told over the years and can still tell and everyone wants to be part of star trek like it's you know it's just one of those iconic american 
series of uh, franchises of media and one of the best one of the best track records of of quality the tv shows have been good the movies have been good uh if not great a lot of times i love the star trek movies man love them uh, as long as you stick with the even numbered ones i've told you before stick with the even numbered star trek movies and you'll see some of the best movies you've ever seen in sci-fi odd numbered ones you know pretty pretty shitty but still a great cast so you know, you're not missing a lot, but and Star Trek: The Next Generation. You guys know if you've watched, if you've listened to this show for a while, you know I love Star Trek: The Next Generation. It's one of my, you know, favorite shows of the '80s and '90s. So, I gave CBS All Access a shot just to be able to watch Star Trek: Discovery, and I wanted to tell you guys what I thought about the show. And so far, uh, there have been two seasons of Star Trek: Discovery that are on CBS All Access right now. You can watch them both all the way through. Uh, so far, I've only made it through the first season of Star Trek Discovery, but I have to say I really enjoyed it. I loved watching this show. I looked forward to every new episode, and I really got surprised by some of the twists and turns. This show takes some real risks with its storytelling, and it tells some very grown-up stories. It's a much more modern take on the Star Trek formula. It makes the show like a serialized drama with one big arc and several single-episode plots rather than the episodic installments that Star Trek shows have, have been famous for, you know, like you know episodes where the plot wraps up and the next week we kind of forget about it, we move on, maybe we make a passing reference, but it doesn't have a huge effect on the episode before it. That's how Star Trek usually was. But Star Trek Discovery is not like that. It's more like the shows that we all watch now where everything is serialized and what happened the week before matters in the next week. And so you don't want to miss an episode of the series. So that makes Star Trek discovery more modern than the other old, you know, versions of the show, which are still great in their own ways. Uh, this version of the show also plays around with morality a little bit more than the other Star Treks have. I mean, usually it was pretty much like, yeah, Captain Kirk was kind of a jerk off, uh, you know, Riker had his moments in The Next Generation, but th they were heroes. I mean, these guys were heroes. Like, Picard was always a hero, and Spock was always a hero. These were guys that you just rooted for. You know, Data was always somebody that you could get behind, and you just knew they were going to be heroes. Star Trek Discovery is not like that. These people are a lot more morally shaky than we've seen Starfleet kind of be presented. The captain of the main ship of the, the starship, Discovery... Uh, which is where the show gets its name. Um, he's a borderline bad guy, you know, who only gets kind of more complex as each episode passes. And he's actually he's played by Jason Isaacs in the show. He he's most famous to me as uh, Draco Malfoy's dad in the Harry Potter movies. What was his name Lucius Malfoy? He was kind of like. He kind of looked like, I don't know, he kind of acted like some kind of like pimp or something with like long hair. And uh, he always carried this cane around. He always wore like nice suits. And he was just a jerk, man. And I mean, he like smacked his own kid around and he was an asshole. But Jason Isaacs was so great in that role. And he's equally great playing the captain in uh, Star Trek Discovery. So they did a really good job with casting for me for the show. Rain Wilson's also in the show. Um, does some nice work in a couple episodes that he's in. Uh, he also plays pretty much a bad guy in the show. Anthony Rapp is in the series as well. He plays a, a more heroic kind of character, but his character is also not likable in some ways as well, just uh, kind of a little stiff and a little bit uh, self-serious, which uh, you know doesn't make you that likable in the Star Trek universe. 
but the cast is made up of several main characters. The heart and soul of the series, though, is not the captain that I was talking about, played by Jason Isaacs. The the heart and soul of the series is this disgraced Starfleet officer who's played by Seneca Martin-Green. Um, and if you know Seneca Martin-Green, you probably know her from shows like The Walking Dead and The Good Wife. She was a big part in both of those shows. She's fantastic in this series, and she's the lead you know character in the show. Her her character's name is Michael Burnham. Yes, Michael, and uh, you know that's remarked on several times in the show. But I, I thought that was you know interesting to do because I mean here we are, we're way in the future, and it's kind of cool to have this woman named Michael, which is a very traditionally masculine name. Um, and, you know, why not in the future? Why wouldn't it kind of be that way where names can, there aren't rules attached to names anymore? And she's this, like, brilliant tactician who isn't necessarily personable because she was actually, she's a human, but she was raised by Vulcans. Um, but she's tasked with proving her worth after committing a crime that ended up actually ruining her entire career in Starfleet. That's where we go in the first couple episodes of the show. We see her, what happened to her, what happened to her career. And she kind of has to start from scratch or lower than scratch really, because she's like an outlaw in uh, the galaxy and uh, Starfleet wants nothing to do with her. So Michael Burnham is this really interesting character, this really good lead character. And uh, yeah, Sonika Martin green is, is very good in the part. Uh, again, great casting. She's fun to watch and really memorable to me. Uh, it's really like Star Trek for grownups, I would say, is what uh, Star Trek Discovery kind of is. The show includes some uh, some graphic sex, which is new for Star Trek. You know, sex was always kind of hinted at, and we would see some characters, you know, flirting, kissing. We might see them wake up in bed together. But this show shows some sex shows some nudity. There's some bloody violence in the series, which again is something they didn't really get into a lot in the other renditions of the show. And even the first F-bomb ever dropped in the history of the franchise, the movies, the TV show, whatever, somebody drops an F-bomb in this show, and it's my favorite character in the whole series. And when she drops it, it uh, is just, it comes out of nowhere, but it fits perfectly. It doesn't feel forced. Uh, and that was kind of shocking because I'm like, man, I'm watching Star Trek. This is like family-friendly stuff. But Star Trek Discovery, not for kids at all. I would not recommend uh, this one being the first one you show your kids if you're trying to get them into Star Trek. This one's kind of for, for uh, you know, grown-ups, I would say. None of that is really that surprising, though, when you realize that Star Trek Discovery came from the mind of Brian Fuller, who, you know, he's about as prolific a TV writer as there has been in recent years. One of my all-time favorite minds in television. Uh, a bit mercurial, though, continues to just get fired from shows and quit shows suddenly after building them up from the ground. But he was the guy that was behind shows like Hannibal, one of my all-time favorite TV shows. Uh, American Gods, which is still on Stars, but he was let go from. Again, another show that... You know, he kind of built up from the ground, but then left in flames. But he, but American Gods is another show I really enjoyed watching the first season of. Basically, anything Brian Fuller touches is going to be really interesting, but it's probably not going to last very long. So he, he already is not involved in Star Trek Discovery anymore, but I think his influence was felt, especially in the first couple episodes of the show, which he wrote. The production values are uh, are pretty strong. You know, they're about what you'd expect from a network like CBS, but they're still a little cheesy in parts, a little little computery, which I honestly expect from any Trek series, and it gives it a little bit more charm, in my opinion. But I really liked Star Trek Discovery, the first season, 
at least. I haven't seen season two yet, but uh, the way the first season ended was shocking, absolutely shocking, I thought, and made me completely want to watch season two of the show. This show really took some risks with its storytelling and uh, really (laughs) stunned me with some of its revelations as the show went on and some of the things it did to its characters and asked its characters to do in the process. I really enjoyed the ride. Star Trek Discovery seasons one and two right now on CBS all access worth the price of admission. If you like Star Trek at all, uh, jump in and and give Star Trek Discovery a watch. I think you will enjoy it, especially if you like the way current TV is told. If you like darker shows, if you like edgier stuff and you enjoy Star Trek, give this one a watch for sure. It's, uh, it's, it's worth your time. It's a lot of fun. Your assumption that the Klingons were waiting in ambush at the binary stars was predictive. Chose to do the right thing over and above what was sanctioned. Even a great cost to yourself. And that is the kind of thinking that wins wars. The kind of thinking I need next to me. Universal laws for lackeys. Context is for kings. What's it to be, Michael? What's in your future? What do you wish for? Atonement? Redemption? Maybe with the assurance of the captain you lost didn't die in vain. You helped start a war. Don't you want to help me end it? And finally, one more thing uh, in television before I pass things over to Andy and let him talk about some music while I puff this stogie. Insecure on HBO. Uh, all three seasons right now are, are streaming for you on HBO now. It's one of the fastest watches you will ever have in television. And that show continues to be one of the best watches on TV. It's just 30 great minutes of character exploration every week, laughs every week, characters that you enjoy spending time with, friendships that you enjoy watching unfold and watching develop over time, and some of the best music that you will ever hear on TV, too. I'm telling you, Insecure has got one of the best soundtracks of any show I've ever seen. Um, whoever it is that is behind picking all the music for the show just does such a great job. It makes, makes it a joy to watch really, but I could rave about insecure forever. I've done it before on this series or on, on this podcast. I should say, uh, if you look back through the archives, I've talked about insecure many times here on the show. And I just continue to be so impressed with this series. If you haven't watched it, it's a, a half-hour, you know, single-camera comedy on HBO. It uh, came from Issa Rae, who was like a YouTube personality, really. Um, and uh, she used to do like these funny raps on there, and it's something that her character does in the show, but it's not at all a gimmick or a shtick that's that's been kind of driven into the ground in the show. It's something that's used well when it is used. And it's given us some very funny moments in the series, just her rapping to herself in her, in the mirror whenever she needs a boost of confidence or something. And usually it doesn't work. Uh, cause as the title says, she is very insecure and really everyone on the show is insecure no matter how good they look. And they all look really good. This is one of the most attractive casts on TV by a mile. Um, but yeah, they've all got their own hangups about themselves and they're all their own insecurities, which you kind of see unfold in the show. And the show's about this, Issa Rae plays the main character. Her character's name is Issa, but it's not her. It's a fictional, you know, character just with the same name. And, uh, it's about her and uh, living in Los Angeles where she grew up 
and living there with her. She works in non in the nonprofit sector. Um, she's, you know, kind of bounces around between different men, uh, throughout the series. She's got this core group of really good friends that she's been friends with for a long time, including one who is a, a lawyer and no matter how successful she is, again, she continues to kind of doubt herself in different ways and kind of mess things up for herself as she goes along. But it's, uh, it's just a really, and, and this is a cast that's pretty much all black, um, Basically, every character that matters is black in this show, um, and it's a really just it, – it, it's like the anti-girls in that way. If that was a show that kind of made you uh, you know, get sick in your own mouth, then Insecure, I think, is the cure for that for you. This show just has a lot of heart. It's very funny. Uh, it tells real stories. It's got a great cast. It avoids cliches at nearly every step. That's the thing I love most about Insecure. Whenever you think a story is going to go a certain way because you've been conditioned by TV writing to, to think that a love story is going to unfold this way or that a friendship story is going to go this way, it doesn't. They sidestep it and they go a different way. And, and the storylines almost never end the way you think they're going to end, uh, which is I appreciate that so much especially in a day and age where so many shows are on TV all the time. Uh, there are these great friendships that get tested over time and adult problems are explored. It's not just about sex. Uh, that's not it. It's not just about work and how work can bring you down and take away your soul and whatever. It's not just about that. It's not just about being successful. That's not the whole crux of the show. There's, there's all kinds of things explored in the 30 minutes of every episode of insecure. It's also a gorgeous show in terms of the way that it's shot. This this series is all shot in LA, it's set in LA, and I think this show does a really good job of making Los Angeles look like a real worn-in city that people actually live in, like regular people, not just celebrities or people that looking for nightlife, looking for a party, looking to achieve their wild dreams. It's like a real city which obviously L.A. is the second biggest city in the country. They've got to have a lot of just regular people that live there, but those aren't the stories we usually see. But in Insecure, we see L.A., we see the little taco stands, and we see like the regular businesses and the gas stations and uh, the regular neighborhoods and um, you know, kind of the lived-in haunts and like the cheap clubs that people can go to, not just the big high-dollar stuff. Um, and that's what I really like about this show. It makes L.A. look like a real city not a fake city, which is usually the kind of the representation that we get of it uh, in media. But yeah, I mean, the cast does a great job. The writers do a great job. Larry Wilmore is the co-creator of the show, along with Issa Rae. Um, and the cast includes Issa Rae, includes Yvonne Orji, uh, Elon Noel, Amanda Seals. They're just some of the actors that do a great job in the show. So many strong performances, and uh, Insecure continues to be one of my favorites. I, I just finished the third season. Uh, a little bit late, I finished it, but all three seasons are right now on HBO Now. I just wish the seasons were a little longer. That's all I want. Eight episodes a season, so four hours a season. Not nearly enough for a show that's this good and this fun to watch. Insecure, right now on HBO Now. Stop what you're doing and watch it. If you're looking for the next show to watch, I'm telling you, Insecure, you will you will love it. And you'll be seeking out the music on Spotify uh, as soon as every episode is over. Hey, Mary, bitch. You looking real clean. You looking real bad. You looking like a queen. It's been a long time. Shouldn't have left you, but I got it. Hey, it's locked. Here I come. All right, speaking of good tunes, let's go ahead and flip things over to our boy, 
our man in Amsterdam, Andy Sedlak, our music man. Let's see uh, what he's got on the turntable this month. Take it away, Mr. Sedlak. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Good day. My name is uh, Andy Sedlak. I'm the, uh, I'll, I'll call myself the music curator here on the Stream Police podcast. And uh, if you get a couple minutes later today, do us a favor. Go to uh, wherever you get your podcast, however you're listening to us, whichever outlet it is. Uh, and go ahead and give us a nice, juicy five-star rating and uh a positive review. Only if we've earned it. That's uh, that's an important caveat. But uh, but that'll really help us uh, make a name for ourselves. So we uh, we still don't have too many reviews. So anything you do will help. You don't even have to leave your real name. You can you can be like a, a secret admirer. Uh, we'll take them however we can get them. <laughs> All right. Let's get on with it. Get on with it. Yes, get on with it. One could make a case that a genre of music is never more important or interesting as when it's just starting out. And then it eventually plateaus, and after that it may ebb and flow. But history universally remembers the early rockers, the early rappers, the jazz pioneers, that moment when it's all new, when it's infectious, when it's something that has momentum. And you could argue that no genre of music has more momentum right now than K-pop. Now, when people first started talking about K-pop, most of the time they were referring to Gangnam Style. I was not impressed. It struck me as kind of like a kitschy niche thing, a novelty thing, like the musical equivalent of anime cartoons. But here's the thing. It has momentum. This has become a billion-dollar industry. K-pop 
is valued at $5 billion, to be specific, the K-pop industry. Last year, the group BTS, and I'll be referring to them a lot, became the first K-pop group to have an album debut at number one. The video for their single Fake Love got over 35 million YouTube views within 24 hours of being released. That's a large number, so let me give it some context. It beat a record previously held by Taylor Swift. BTS played City Field in New York last year. Capacity, 45,000 people. They were indeed the first K-pop act to ever play a U.S. stadium. But this just isn't about that one group. There's a girl group called Blackpink that's been on the U.S. charts. There's a group called Super Junior that's got a, uh, a global hit. Uh, right now, it's, it's really big in Latin America. They haven't really made much noise here in the States, but but they're striking in other parts of the world. Industry types are buzzing about all this, and if those folks think they can make money off of this, well, then watch it really take off. The vice president of Alpha Media, for example, was recently interviewed. This guy said, and I quote, six months from now, I think some of the biggest mainstream U.S. artists in the world will be infusing themselves into K-pop records, end quote. Alpha Media owns 68 radio stations, by the way. That's who he's with. Alpha Media owns 68 radio stations across the country. Last year, Time Magazine called K-pop South Korea's greatest export. So K-pop has momentum. Here's my question. Is this an artistic movement or a commercial movement? Is this an artistic movement or... A commercial movement. And of course it could be both. Let's start from the beginning. K-pop originated in South Korea. South Korea. That's what the K stands for. Korea. And no, South Korea is not the place where Kim Jong-un is from. That's North Korea. South Korea, uh, just to the south of that, is a light ally of the United States. Most K-pop groups do not record in English. People here listen to them anyway. K-pop is famous for its groups, not its solo acts. There's a Korean form of um, like an American Idol TV show that's very popular in South Korea, and several of these acts uh, come from that show. Those acts are known as idol groups. Lots and lots of pop groups come out of South Korea. Rock, not so much. The country has a history of state control, so rock groups don't traditionally get past government censors. Dance groups, on the other hand, can squeeze past government censors. So groups are assembled on family-friendly talent shows with the intent of making names for themselves as world-class entertainers.
That's a song called Red Flavor by a group called Red Velvet. And that's a good example of what you'd see if you turned on one of these idol shows. Catchy and upbeat. Catchy and upbeat. Catchy and upbeat. That's it right there. That's the formula. Those are the signature characteristics. But here's where things start to get interesting. Like any genre worth its salt, K-pop artists are starting to rebel. BTS, the group I mentioned earlier, have been addressing LGBTQ rights and other taboo topics like mental health and ongoing pressures to keep up their success. It can't be overstated that these are taboo subjects in their native Korea. The government keeps an eye on things like this. Now, this is called coming a long, long way. A long way. Keep in mind that up until the 1980s, the South Korean government produced TV and radio broadcasts that featured Lawrence Welk-type music. How many people out there know who Lawrence Welk is? Old-timey stuff. Most South Koreans didn't hear anything musically that was going on in the States. That means... No rock and roll, no punk, no disco, no country, no blues, no jazz, just pop standards and and orchestra-type stuff, like what Lawrence Welk would do. And yeah, okay, I'll play it. I'll play it. Here's Lawrence Welk. So that's the type of thing that they heard most often up until the 1980s. Then things started to loosen up, and American music started to make its way east. And what was becoming popular at the time? Rap. So they got in on the ground floor of hip-hop. What else was popular? Mall pop, like Tiffany. Dance music. Then the boy bands of the 90s, uh, and, and that's what Koreans began to soak up from the West. So pop music became big business in the country. Kids would attend special schools where they would sing, dance, smile, everything down to perfection. This usually started around age 10. Most of these schools were funded by music studios. Sing, dance, smile, repeat. Sing, dance, smile. Because of the government censorship, Songs gained a reputation for being kind of trite. Lyrics, bland. No social commentary, no compelling narratives, and don't even think about sex. These days, censorship isn't as strong as it used to be, but it is still present in South Korea. And that's why it's interesting, and even a little ballsy, that the biggest K-pop group ever, BTS, is starting to address this stuff. Here they are talking to Ellen, with the help of a translator. Okay, so you, you write the songs, and they're very personal lyrics. You talk about things like mental health, and that's important to you, right? To, to set yourself aside and not just do pop music, but talk about issues. That's what I said. <laughs> 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 한국이나 뭐 미국이나 언어는 다르지만 생각한 건 비슷하다고 생각해요. 그래가지고 저희 이렇게 가사들을 많이 공감해 주시는 것 같아서 되게 감사하죠. I think we have 
Korean and English, different languages, we have different languages, but I think we can all share in the same message. And I think that's why our songs appeal to people who you know, speak Korean and people who don't speak Korean. Mental health is a serious issue for this group to talk about. 36 South Koreans commit suicide every single day. The government has a reputation for not dealing with the issue as quickly as it should. But in spite of this, members of BTS talk about having depression themselves. And in a country where entertainers don't talk about those things, it can't be overstated how powerful and how new that is. The Justin Timberlake, so to speak, of BTS is a kid that goes by RM. He's even more than the group's breakout star. He's the unquestioned leader of the group. He's always introduced as such. He's also incredibly well-spoken. You taught yourself English? Yes, I, I taught myself English. How did, how did you teach yourself English? Um, actually, my English teacher was a sitcom, Friends. Oh, you That's watched legendary. Friends? Yes. So, it, was it mainly just, fr- just phrases then, or you just learned everything? Um, I think, you know, back in the days, like, when I was, like, 15, uh-huh. like, 14. Yeah. It was quite like a syndrome for all the Korean parents to make their kids watch the, the Friends. Really? So, yeah, for... I thought I was kind of like a victim at that time, but <laughs> but right now I'm, I'm the lucky one. Yeah. So yeah. Like thanks to my mother, she she bought the, all the other seasons for DVDs. Uh huh. It's, it's it got ten DVDs, right? Right. She bought she bought me, and so firstly I watched with the Korean subtitle, and then next time I watched with the English subtitle, and then I just removed it. That's very impressive. And like everything else, there's a K-pop music festival. It's been held in Newark, New Jersey, of all places. And what's interesting is that the vast majority of folks who show up aren't Korean. Even though uh, fans don't know the language that the songs are in, a lot of them just love the visuals of the whole thing. And that's another important element of K-pop, the visuals. They are bright, they are hip, and they're also kind of throwback. Korean uh, pop acts dress like American pop acts from the 90s. The lights, the rhythms, the choreography. So many of the fans at these festivals discovered the groups playing by watching videos online. Concerts then become opportunities to watch these groups recreate their videos. It's okay. It's okay. So where does K-pop go from here? Will there be a, a Korean invasion like there was a British invasion? It depends on if the audience takes it with them as they grow older. Most K-pop fans are young girls. Remember NSYNC's fan base? Basically the same thing. I think we can say that NSYNC's fans took the music with them as they went older. Same with Backstreet Boys. Look at those guys. Uh, They will not go away. (laughs) After not having a hit in years. But if K-pop fans do the same thing, then these boys will have careers. If they don't, then they won't. At least... Not in the United States. I doubt the genre, though, has reached its saturation point. It's still climbing, still building up steam, and it'll get bigger uh, before it goes away or takes its place at the table of other established music genres.
All right. Can we say a prayer for Mick Jagger? I have tickets to see the Rolling Stones at Soldier Field in Chicago this summer. So, yeah, I was bummed when I got an email last weekend that uh, they postponed their tour because Mick Jagger was sick. Came out a couple days later. They asked to have heart surgery. A valve needs to be replaced. Now, the Stones have a pretty good track record with this kind of stuff. And I mean beating disease. In 2004, drummer Charlie Watts was diagnosed with throat cancer. He beat it. In 2017, guitarist Ron Wood was diagnosed with lung cancer. He beat it. In 2016, former bassist Bill Wyman was diagnosed with prostate cancer. He's expected to make a full recovery. In 2006, Keith Richards. Now, we could could devote the next couple hours to Keith Richards. But in 2006, he fell out of a tree in Fiji, fracturing his skull. He had bleeding on the brain and blood clots in between the brain in its outer protective layer. He needed emergency surgery. The Stones postponed dates, but you guessed it, he made a full recovery. And the band played on. So here's to Mick. Get well, mate. I'll see you in Chicago shortly. You still have the same enthusiasm for the music that you used to have. Yeah, because rock and roll is nothing if it's not enthusiasm. It has to be. Um, About 50% of rock and roll is enthusiasm, I think. You don't have to drag yourself along to doing it just to... No, no, I don't get into it screaming my head off in the studio. How long do you reckon the Stones can continue? Because we've never had a a, a rock and roll band last as long. No, it's like jazz. You know, when jazz was started, they thought that was a sort of 10-day wonder. When rock and roll started, everyone said it'd be over. Um, And it was. um, I mean, performers in rock and roll were very fly-by-night. I mean, they still are, some. Um, I think you should carry on until... You can carry on in in rock and roll scene until quite, I think, quite a long time. One last note, rapper Nipsey Hussle was shot and killed outside of a clothing store he owned on March 31st. Police apparently have a suspect. They are looking for him. At the time that I'm recording this, they haven't arrested anyone yet. But if you're not familiar with Nipsey's music, he's he's quite good. He's sort of one of those... um, under-the-radar guys that that all the cool artists listen to. Drake, Nas, Rihanna, everyone liked him. Proficient guy. Had yet to make it big as a solo act, but uh, Nipsey Hussle was the real deal. Nigga in my trip and let me know. I thought all that Donald Trump bullshit was a joke. Know what they say when rich niggas go broke. Look, Greg is so cold. Obama so hope Donald Trump spent his trust for money on the vote. I'm from a place where you probably can't go. Speaking for some people that you probably ain't know. It's pressure built up and it's probably gonna blow. And if we say go, then they probably gonna go. You vote Trump, then you probably all dope. And if you like me, then you probably ain't know. And if you been in jail, you could probably still vote. We let this nigga win, we gonna probably feel broke. You build walls, we gonna probably dig holes. And if you go ahead, do it. Fuck Donald Trump. Fuck you. All right. As you know, we're building the most perfect playlist known to man. Every month we add 
Five more songs to said playlist, which you can find on Spotify by searching Stream Police. This month, uh, we're going to go with all hip-hop songs. First, it's 1985 by J. Cole. I remember I was 18. Money, pussy, parties, I was on the same thing. You got to give a boy a chance to grow some. Everybody talking like they know something these days. Niggas acting woke, but they broke, um. I respect the struggle, but you all fronting these days. Man, they barely old enough to drive. To tell them what they should do. Who the fuck am I? I heard one of them diss me, I'm surprised. I ain't tripping, listen good to my reply. Come here, little man, let me talk with you. See if I can paint for you the large picture. And, uh, let's see, I know Clint will like this. It's Spotty Adi Dopalicious. By Outcast. When I first met my spotted, odie, dopalicious angel, I can remember that damn thing like yesterday. The way she moved reminded me of a brown stallion horse with skates on, you know. Smooth like a hot comb on nap ass hell. I walked up on her and was almost paralyzed. Her neck was smelling sweeter than a plate of yams with extra syrup. Eyes beaming like four carrots apiece, just blinding the nigga. Felt like I cheaped the whole or that presidential. My heart would be so damn fast. Never knowing this moment would bring another life into this world. Funny how shit come together sometimes, you dig? One moment you frequent the booty clubs, and the next four years you and somebody daughter raising your own youngin'. Now that's a beautiful thing. That's if you're on top of your game and man enough to handle real life situations, that is. Then, Problems and Blessings by Dizzy Wright. Find someone else to step on. Putting in that work, this is not a fight you should bet on. My head on straight, trying to find your peace of mind at times could be a deadly trait. I never doubt myself, it's some things you should never say. Secure my spot with all these godly verses. You wasting money, but in your mind, I'm sure it's probably worth it. I'm working, who turned the gamers into gangsters? I remember feeling danger, now I'm feeling more discouraged. Don't feel that way, I feel your pain, I know you aggravated. You'll get your time by then, I hope your mind is activated. Overcome tasks, we grew up fast, that's just the saddest statement one thing i want to say enjoy your younger days and uh let's see next we'll go with sandwiches by tyler the creator nigga had the fucking nerve to call me immature fuck you think i made our future for wear fucking suits to make good decisions fuck that nigga who the fuck invited Mr. I don't give a fuck who cries about his daddy in a blog because his music sucked. I did. Well, you fucking up, and truthfully, I had enough, and fuck rolling papers. I'm a rebel bitch. I'm ashing blunts. And finally, Rushing Elephants by Wu-Tang. Yo, 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 yeah, 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 all right that's it 
Thanks so much. Always fun hanging out with you. Do me a favor and behave yourselves this month just for once. All right, we'll send it back to Clint. See ya. Thank you very much, Andy. Man, that Nipsey Hussle news, uh, really, really sad stuff, man. He just apparently was just a, like a great guy, just a, a guy who kept it all. I was talking about L.A. before, and he, I think he, he kept it real in L.A. And, and reminded people that, you know, L.A. is kind of just this unique ecosystem in entertainment, in music, in, in hip-hop, and it's like a thriving place to be. But there's another icon of that area lost uh to violence once again sucks so i got an email uh from one of our uh long time listeners who's uh writes you know just great emails always gives great feedback on the show our good buddy glenn who wrote me up again i'm always glad to hear from him and uh he said uh that he had you know been kind of falling behind on podcasts and got caught up on ours and, and enjoyed listening to all the shows kind of like right in a row he said that uh, his wife listened to what I was saying about This Is Us in last month's episode. I was asking if the show has jumped the shark at this point. Because again, like Game of Thrones, another show that I've said is, has jumped the shark, it's kind of gotten away from what made it great in the first place. And Glenn said that his wife was listening along to that segment and was nodding along and saying yes the whole time because uh, she's been very disappointed with the show as well lately. Glenn says he doesn't watch, his, uh, watch it, but... Uh, that she's uh, been watching it from day one and, and used to really enjoy it but doesn't think it's so great anymore. And that's really sad because it was a show that was really, truly special, especially for network TV. It was really good in the first couple seasons, but uh, it's just gotten so wacky in the last uh, few episodes and in the last season. So I don't know. I mean, third season kind of just wrapped up, and I'm still sticking with it. I'm still watching it every week, but... I don't know. I mean, I don't look forward to it quite as much as I used to in the first couple seasons. So thank you very much for the message, Glenn. Always good to hear from you, my friend. Glad you're back with us listening on a monthly religious basis here uh, on the program. Uh, so anyway, something that's been going on in entertainment that I wanted to just mention real fast, don't want to dwell on it a whole lot because I think a lot's already been said about it, is the college admission scandal. People were like stunned by this scandal when they found out that Lori Laughlin from Full House and Felicity Huffman from, you know, Desperate Housewives and from Magnolia, my favorite movie ever, and from plenty of other things, Felicity Huffman, great actor, Lori Laughlin, good at what she does, definitely good at what she does, a very uh, a big name in the kind of Hallmark movie circuit. I hate to break it to you guys. These people are actors for a living. They're not really like the great nice people that they play in movies. And it seems like people are forgetting what actors do. Like the whole job of an actor is to play a part, to get into someone else's skin and act a certain way. And I'm not trying to uh, to talk down to you here, but if you were shocked, oh my God, how could Lori Laughlin and Felicity Huffman, two people that I've watched in movies and TV shows, how could they 
do something as sleazy as pay off college admissions people to get their kids into big schools. I mean, how could they do something like that? I thought they were better than that. They're they're actors. I mean, what do you expect? They're just like anyone else. They have kids. They want their kids to go to good schools. They've got money. They've got position. They've got influence. They're going to use it. I mean, how could you have been shocked by this story? I mean, Aunt Becky was great in Full House. She was very nice. She was a dogged TV, you know, morning news journalist. But she was just a character, man. And and Dr. Huxtable, remember him? He was a character, too. He was a really nice guy, the neighborhood doctor. Well, it turned out that he was drugging and raping women uh, in his spare time. The actor was, anyway. Remember Charlie Rose? Remember how great his interviews used to be? He's a real guy and a real journalist, but he was also playing a part. At the end of the day, he was playing the part of the guy who is the deep thinker, the intellectual, the guy who will point you the right way, who will get to the bottom of things, who will ask the deep questions. Well, behind the scenes, he was just some creepy old guy who liked to get naked in front of women that did not want to see him naked and uh, promised them sex in return for advancing their careers. Remember Jared Fogle? He was the guy who held his pants up on subway commercials and used to say, hey, man, these used to be my pants and I lost a lot of weight eating subway. He made millions of dollars by saying that. And people, he was like this great guy, went to schools and, and uh, you know, inspired people to lose weight and pimped Subway for years and years. And then it turned out that he was having sex with children all across the country at all these tour stops he would do for Subway. He'd bring them back to his Subway paid-for hotel room and have sex with them and pay pimps to do it. So, again, actors, characters, everyone's an actor. If they're in front of a camera, they're an actor. I mean, that's just, it's a very cynical way to look at the world, but that's the way it is. But especially if they're legitimately an actor, like Lori Laughlin and, and Felicity Huffman, you don't know them personally. How can you be surprised that they would do something like that? I mean, honestly, how could that surprise you? I mean, they didn't kill anybody, but it does make the system look shitty. And it you know obviously undermines their careers a little bit, but I don't think it should because they're actors and they're still good actors like you don't have to take their acting jobs away from them just because they did some, you know, but what is basically a victimless crime in the end. I mean, you can say, well, they cost some other kids to not get into school, but did they really? I don't know. Some other rich asshole was going to get in anyway. So I don't know that it's really a, I don't know if it's a crime that really has a victim. It just kind of makes everyone look like an asshole. If you have any thoughts on it, hit me up uh, on uh, Twitter. You can reach me at Mr. Clint Davis. You can also email me at theclintdavis at gmail.com. T H E Clint Davis at gmail.com. All right. So I wanted to mention before we get to the big Avengers Endgame premiere on April 26th, and I'm really excited about this movie. I'm sad that there are not going to be any Marvel movies for like more than a year after this comes out. We're going to have a drought of Marvel movies because I love them just as much as anybody else does. You might think of me as this big like movie snob, and I kind of am, but I love the Marvel movies because they're really great quality control. They're well done. They're funny. They're always fun. They tell a good story. They look amazing, and they cast them immaculately. So, you know what? Can, what else? What else can you like about it? What What can you ask for from a series of movies? And it's amazing the amount of stories, the intertwining stories they've told in. Uh, a series of films which was thought to be unheard of before to do this kind of scope of 
uh, long form storytelling done without in a series of movies over the course of like a decade. People just thought you couldn't really do that with this many characters juggling them up in the air. But Marvel Cinematic Universe has proven that you can and you can make a ton of money doing it. So I found out recently that one of my good friends, uh, I'll just, I'm going to call her Marie, which is actually her name. So I'm not covering anything up, but Marie has never seen any of the Marvel movies. She revealed this to me the other day on Twitter. And I was actually stunned because she's a big movie watcher. She's not somebody who doesn't watch movies and she's someone who's like always up on things. Like she definitely knows what's going on in entertainment and what like, uh, you know, things that you should be watching and paying attention to. She's definitely somebody who's with all that stuff. So I was stunned that she's never seen any of the MCU movies. She just never got around to them. Never. She says it herself. She's not a big movie watcher. And so, but I mean, there's 21 of them. So I'm like, how have you never seen a single one? You must've been trying to avoid them to not ever see one of these movies. They're just all over the place. They come out, you know, there's three of them a year. Uh, so, but yeah, she's never seen any of them and she likes sci-fi action kind of stuff. She's a big star Wars fan. So I was surprised by this, but it got me thinking there were probably actually a lot of people out there who've never seen these movies. And at this point with 21 movies into it, they probably feel like, well, you know, if I haven't gotten into them by now, I'm done. Like I'm, I, I can't get into them. It's, it's too late. It's too late for me. It's like when a TV show takes off and you're kind of like, well, I didn't get in from the ground floor, so I'm, I can't get into it. I'm, it's too late for me. It's already passed me by the ship sailed. That's not the case with the Marvel cinematic universe. I think you can get into it in the middle and take it from me because I'm somebody who did. Now I remember I saw the first Iron Man when it was in theaters I remember going with my buddy Zach to go see the first Iron Man movie when I was in college, and we both loved it. It was great. It was just so funny. It was different from any superhero movie we had ever seen. So I saw that one in theaters. I saw the Hulk in theaters, too, the Incredible Hulk, uh, which was the second MCU movie. Now it's kind of like the forgotten one because it, you know, they changed the actor and the movie kind of sucks. So it's like the, the forgotten child of the um, of the MCU, but... I remember seeing both of those in theaters. So I was with the Marvel Cinematic Universe at the beginning, but then I became a lapsed fan. So I didn't see any of the ones after that, basically, uh, until about 2014, which is when I, I finally got in and watched all of them in a row. I checked them all out from the library, so that's the way I did it. I didn't pay a dime to see every one of the Marvel movies at that point. Sat down and watched them all. Beth and I watched them all over the course of like a, a month or two. And had a lot of fun doing it. It was really fun to just go through and watch all those movies. Especially because, like I said, I didn't pay a dime to do it. So, I, like I said, I didn't get into them until 2014. So you do not need to have been there from day one to jump into the MCU at this point. So you do not need to have been there from day one to jump into the MCU at this point and still enjoy it. And I consider myself a big fan of them. I've seen them all now at this point. And I go see them all in theaters now when they come out. So I wanted to kind of tell you how I would recommend getting into the MCU if you are one of those people that feels like too much time has passed. I'm going to tell you right now, you do not need to watch all 21 of the movies. If, if watching 21 movies to you sounds like awful and it sounds like it'll take you a decade, you don't need to watch all 21 of them. Don't worry about that. You can enjoy the ride and you can go see Avengers Endgame this year 
only having seen some of the movies and still it'll make enough sense to you and you'll still enjoy it. And you'll probably want to go and watch all the rest of them after that. If you, if you actually like it a lot, you can honestly start right now by seeing captain Marvel, which I think is still in some theaters. Um, and it's a really fun movie. I liked it. I thought it was of the standalone kind of non Avengers movies. Uh, I thought it was one of the better ones. I, I thought it it did a nice job of, you know, doing the using the setting of the nineties to kind of tell some good old nineties jokes for us people who remember growing up then and the music was great in the film. It had a really good soundtrack. It had Brie Larson, which how can you not like Brie Larson? I love Brie Larson. Uh she's a great actor. She's just great. She's just badass. She's kick ass. So it was uh it was a it was a fun movie to watch and they did that de-aging thing where they made Samuel L. Jackson look like he did like in Pulp Fiction. Um which was kind of creepy, but it was also really well done in this movie. This was the best I've ever seen anyone do it, and they did it for so long in the film. It wasn't just like one scene. It was all throughout. So uh I liked Captain Marvel, but you can see that first. That's a prequel actually to all the Avengers movies. So it's set way before the first Iron Man and all the other Avengers movies which all take place in chronological order from there. Like Captain Marvel's the only one to jump out of timeline and be set. Uh, well, I guess Guardians of the Galaxy kind of did, but then it was set like in the in the like in outer space, so it didn't really matter. But anyway, Captain Marvel is a prequel, so you can go see that, and that'll give you some storyline you need to know before Avengers Endgame comes out on April 26th, because you will need to know who Captain Marvel is. But I wanted to tell you, okay, so here's... I've got three tiers of Marvel movies. I've got must-sees, I've got should-sees, and I've got you-don't-need-to-see uh, movies here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them all to you. So the must-sees, the ones that I think you do really need to see, and you don't have to see these before Avengers Endgame, but these are ones I think you want to see overall because they're the best ones. They're really good, and they do tell essential stories to enjoy what you're going to see in Avengers Endgame. The first Iron Man, you got to see that because it all started there, and it gives you the tone of all the movies, and it tells you the origin story of Tony Stark, who is arguably the most important character in the whole deal. Captain America 1 through 3. The Captain America movies, to me, are the best movies of all the Marvel movies. That, that trilogy is gets out there what this series has done so well the stories it can tell the kind of serious tones the uh but also and captain america also is a prequel i should say the first captain america that's set like back in the 1940s so disregard what i said about captain marvel being the uh first chronological one of all of them uh but captain america one through three great stories great action memorable villains memorable you know heroics and the other characters kind of come into the movies and uh, make everything kind of even more fun. So you should see all three of the Captain America movies. You'll enjoy them. I'm telling you, if you like action at all, you should see those. Avengers 1 through 3. There have been three Avengers movies leading up to Avengers Endgame. You need to see all three of them if you really want to get the most out of this. Those are probably the most essential ones to see uh, before you go to see Avengers Endgame. The second Avengers kind of sucks, all right? But the first and third one, Really good, um, but you still should see the second one just so you know all the friction between the group as you're as you're moving along. Black Panther to me is a must see. You got to see Black Panther, cultural event of the last few years, and it's a great movie. It's a it's the best standalone Marvel movie bar none. Uh, and by standalone, I mean non Iron Man, non Captain America, non Thor, non Avengers, just standalone deal. 
its own, you know, new hero, Black Panther Z. You got to see that. And Captain Marvel, I think, is one that you should, it should be on the must-sees as well because it'll give you things you need to know heading into Endgame. The should-sees, all right? I'm going to give you this tier. So if you want to see even more of them, you should see Iron Man 3. Very good movie. It's better than the first Iron Man. Definitely better than the second one. The second one kind of sucks. Iron Man 3 is really good. It's one of the best of all the Marvel movies. Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2. These are like the most fun, funny, uh, most different of all the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. But they're not really essential viewing to the rest of the of, of Marvel. That's why I didn't put them in must-see. But they're really good. You, you really should see the first two Guardians of the Galaxies, especially if you like uh, things to not be so serious in your action movies. And Doctor Strange, you probably should see that. It's got some important story elements. Not a very great movie. It's okay. Uh, I mean, they cast a white lady to play an Asian part. That's not good, but it's it's got some stuff that you actually need to know, and Doctor Strange ends up being an important character in the the Avengers movies, and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. I mean, come on, what else do you want? The ones you can skip, though, you can skip all three of the Thor movies, honestly. It's not that they're all bad. I think the first two are kind of dumb, though. The third one was good. But you can skip those three. You'll be fine. Iron Man 2, you can skip that one easily. Spider-Man, you can skip that one. Don't really need it. Everyone knows the story of Spider-Man. Everyone knows what the gist of Spider-Man is. You don't have to see that one. It's not gonna. You know, it's not gonna give you anything you haven't seen before. Uh, the Hulk movie definitely skip that one. That's the ultimate skip of of all of them. And the two Ant Man movies totally skippable as well. Even though Ant Man, I guess, is going to be important in the uh, new Avengers Endgame movie. But you can get all you need to know about Ant Man from watching like uh, Captain America: Civil War, which I think was where he made his first appearance, if I'm not mistaken. So. Those are my thoughts. I would say definitely, though, if you want to do bare minimum, watch the first three Avengers movies uh, for sure. Captain America Civil War, you should watch as well, and Black Panther. Those are, the, those are the ones, those are the five movies I'd say you definitely should see if you want to jump into the MCU and have any idea of what's going on and have any appreciation for what you're going to see in Avengers Endgame. Those five movies. The all three Avengers, Captain America Civil War, and Black Panther. Check them out and let me know what you think about it all. Uh, but they're really good movies. You should you should spend some time watching the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. If you have the spare time, you know, on a Friday night, watch a couple of these. You'll really enjoy them. They're really fun. Watch them with a friend. Watch them with your, you know, wife, your husband, whatever. Uh and you'll enjoy them. I mean, they're just really good. They're fun. They're really fun. And they're the, the cultural movie event of our generation. This is it. There's nothing bigger than the Marvel movies. They are they are like the Star Wars of our generation. They, they're bigger than Star Wars, I think, at this point. Star Wars, when it was out, you know, originally was kind of looked at as like nerd stuff, even though it was the highest grossing movie of all time at the, at the time. It was still kind of thought of as like nerd stuff. The Marvel movies are not thought of that way. They're they're just total mainstream entertainment. Um, so they're they're just and they're really good. They're all good. They're all fun. They're just a blast to watch. A couple of them kind of suck, but they're not like the worst movies you've ever seen or anything. They just kind of suck compared to the other ones. But the ones that are really good, like Civil War, like the first Avengers, uh, like Black Panther, the first Iron Man, third Iron Man, they are great movies. 
absolutely great movies. The Captain America trilogy, one of the best trilogies I've ever seen in in movie history, bar none. One of the best trilogies ever. All three of them, totally worth your time. Really good, great story, memorable stuff. Love those movies. So those are my thoughts on uh, what you want to do if you're just jumping into the MCU. Don't be intimidated. Uh, if you have FOMO, don't feel like you have to miss out on on Endgame. I wouldn't recommend just going to see Endgame with no background whatsoever. At least watch Avengers Infinity War before you go see Endgame because it's a direct sequel to Infinity War. At very least, watch Infinity War and then go see Endgame. But, you know, do it the way I, I told you and I think you'll feel all right. You'll you'll get it. You'll you'll lock in pretty quickly as to what's going on there. And now for something completely different. All right, uh, before I let you go here, I want to give you my thoughts on the best thing I watched this month and then also run down for you what's new streaming on Netflix and Amazon, as I always do to end every episode of The Stream Police. First off, the best thing I watched this month. So I watch a lot of movies. You can check me out on uh, Instagram at Mr. Clint Davis, Mr. Clint Davis, to see what I'm watching that night as I'm watching it. Uh, the best thing that I watched in this past month was a 1973 movie called Badlands, which uh, was one that I had had on my list for a long time, had never gotten around to seeing just for whatever reason, just hadn't, hadn't seen it ever. And I finally did. And man, it was really worth the wait. This was directed by Terrence Malick, the legendary Terrence Malick, who couldn't miss there for a while. And, uh, it stars Martin Sheen, very young Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek who was even younger at this point in 1973. The movie is about, it, it It tells the story of Charles Starkweather and his girlfriend who went around the country, who went like through the Midwest in the 1950s, I think it was, and went on this killing rampage just for no really apparent reason, just killing anyone they came across. And they were, you know, hunted by every law enforcement agency in the country until finally being arrested. Uh, and that's what this movie is about. It's a fictional telling of that couple, their boredom, their restlessness, which led to this killing spree that basically had nothing. There was no goal of this thing. It was just, why not? Let's do it. And they did it. And the movie is so not violent. Like, it's not anything if you're like, I don't want to watch some movie about a bunch of people being shot up and killed. That's not Then you'll be fine with this movie because it's not a violent film. The killings are not grotesque, they're not gory, they're not gratuitous at all. This is just a character study. This is just a movie about two people, and it it kind of gets rid of all the stereotypes. It's I mean, a little stereotypy of, of Midwestern people as far as just being simple. But these are not stupid people. I mean, they, they, these are just two people who are just kind of bored and decide to go out and do something that's terrible, but they just are looking for kicks. Um, and it's just fascinating to watch unfold and, and to feel that struggle in yourself as to who am I rooting for here? Do I want them to get brought down or do I want them to, uh, you know, pay the price here? Do I, am I rooting for the police officers? And, uh, Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek are so goddamn good in this movie. They're so natural. The film is gorgeous. It just looks beautiful, makes the American Midwest look stunning um and especially kind of like the plains areas and south dakota and 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 montana and all those areas just look gorgeous and those areas are not hard to make look gorgeous i know but they really do shine in this film so i was blown away i loved badlands loved every minute of it it was a fascinating watch 
Um, I don't know uh, if it's streaming anywhere actually right now, except for uh, that you can obviously pay for it, rent it somewhere, buy it. But check out Badlands. It's from 1973. I think you'll really dig it. It's uh, It was a great movie. It, it really uh, was, like I said, worth the wait. I had high expectations for it, and it lived up to all of them. It's like a 90-minute Springsteen song, too, if you are into Bruce at all. You'll you'll really love this movie if you're into Bruce at all. The the killings and the movie itself actually inspired the song Nebraska, which is one of the grimmest that Springsteen ever wrote, which is saying something. All right, so now streaming. A couple movies for you on Netflix and a couple for you on Amazon. I like to give you something funny to watch and something serious to watch. First off, on Netflix from 1997 for something funny... The Fifth Element. This movie's not exactly funny. It does have some pretty funny moments. It's more like light is the word I'm going for here. But The Fifth Element does make me laugh. Gary Oldman is brilliant in it. Um, It's one of my favorite Bruce Willis roles. Uh, Mila Jovovich is great in it as well. Uh, Chris Tucker, really good in this movie also. He's very funny in this movie. So The Fifth Element, if you've never seen it, it's just this uh, crazy sci-fi futuristic film. Uh, with just a wild story. It's too hard to describe here. And visually, it's so memorable. There's just so many great scenes in this movie. I love The Fifth Element. I think I've talked about it on the show before. Um, it, it's just totally original. And it's a, it's a really great movie. So that one is streaming on Netflix now for you. It's from 1997. It's The Fifth Element. Something serious for you on Netflix if you don't want to watch anything that will make you laugh. Well, Deliverance from 1972 definitely will not make you laugh. Uh, I mean... Wow, it's a movie that's really well known for its depictions of uh, male rape in the backwoods of West Virginia. But there's a whole lot more going on here as far as character depth and great performances from Burt Reynolds and John Voight. The late Burt Reynolds, this was one of his signature great performances. And Ned Beatty is, uh, well, he's he's great in it as well. And he has to go through some serious shit in this film. Uh, that makes it worth your time watching. It's on Netflix right now, and it'll never make you look at the banjo the same way or the woods or canoeing, for that matter, the same way again. It'll make you think twice before doing any of that. So a million backwoods hillbilly stereotypes were born with 1972's Deliverance. On Amazon right now for you, a couple of really good ones for you. Something funny from 1978. It's Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke. This continues to me to be one of the funniest movies ever made. I never get tired of this. Uh, Tommy Chong and and uh, Cheech Marin watching or, or sitting and smoking the fattest blunt ever in their car and uh, thinking that they're driving down the highway, but they're actually sitting in a parking lot. <laughs> it's just, it's great, man. Every stoner movie that's ever come out since Up in Smoke has ripped it off in some way. I mean, these guys drive a van that's made out of weed. The whole van is made out of weed and... It doesn't. It doesn't end very well. So, uh, it, it goes up in smoke, as uh, the title would tell you. But it's just a great movie. There's so many funny lines, funny parts of uh, of this film uh, that there's just too many to repeat here. What was in that blunt, man? Maui, Wowie, and dog shit. Who can forget it? I love Up in Smoke. Makes me laugh every time. 1978. It's on Amazon right now. Totally worth watching. If you've never watched it, you need to. If you like weed movies at all, even if you don't, just give Up in Smoke a watch. It's a classic. And from 2018, something serious for you on Amazon, A Quiet Place. This was the horror movie that was directed by John Krasinski. It stars himself and his wife, Emily Blunt. Both are great in it. And the movie's really interesting. It kind of... uh, uh, 
uh, broke a little bit of the mold for the horror genre. It's been ripped off several times already, uh, but it's about, you know, kind of this this uh, dystopian world where uh, there are these monsters that can hear, you know, and have just like supersonic hearing, basically. I think that the monsters are blind, but they can hear everything, and that's how they hunt you. And so everyone just has to be silent. And it's about this family who are trying to travel and trying to set up a new home and hide themselves away from the monsters all the while being uh, completely silent. So it's very tense, scary movie, some really good work done by John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. And uh, it was a a truly kind of a scary film. It had a really good ending too. I really liked the way this one ended. So a quiet place is now on Amazon prime for you. It's from 2018, and uh, that's definitely worth your time. Also on Amazon Prime, Days of Thunder. I just want to throw that out there. If you've never watched that one, uh, let me out of the cockle. Let me out of the cockle. And Rubbin's Racing. Don't forget it. So how are you going to beat Days of Thunder? Well, that's uh, one of the all-time classic cruise movies. Rubbin's Racing, baby. All right, that's going to do it for another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Always a pleasure uh, riding along with you guys wherever you may be. I always love to hear from you. I'm at theclintdavis at gmail.com, T-H-E, clintdavis at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Clint Davis, M-R, Clint Davis. Uh, And you can reach Andy at sedlackjournal at gmail.com, S-E-D-L-A-K, journal at gmail.com my thanks to him and my thanks to you very much my friend again i'm clint davis always glad to hang out with you here on the stream police until next time stream on catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.